Well, it is great to be together in worship. I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm grateful for, for you to allowing me and my family to take some time of vacation away uh, last week. Um, I wish I could say I was glad to be back, um, but you know that probably would not be completely true. I am glad to be with you in person. Um, I did worship with you online last week, and, uh, but there's just something about being in the same space for me. In the same space together, and, and uh, it just does me at my soul an extra amount of good, I guess. But it's also good to sleep in your own bed when you get home. You know what I'm saying? I understand that as well. Uh, some of you might be curious as to where I went, and so I will brag. Um, we went to the beach, um, ate seafood, looked for shark's teeth on the beach, found some. Uh, first time for me. Uh, we sat peacefully watching the ocean and the people around us, and as Kathy and I started kind of getting toward the end of the week, you know, about Sunday afternoon, <laughs> we kind of looked at each other and go, um, what do you want to preach on next week? Being this Sunday, I was like, you know, I hadn't thought about it. And um, so we, we said, you know, there's a lot of stories, a lot of theological lessons we can learn from the beach, and so kind of taken a piece of script from uh, Glenn's notes, uh, lessons from the beach came to mind instead of lessons from the trail, and um, we will not be doing a series on it, it's just today, I think. We may have a conversation tomorrow and go, you know, we need to do some more, but I don't know, it's the way it is. You know, Jesus was always taking common things that we're used to, um, experiences to illustrate kingdom principles and truth all the time. That's the way he used parables everyday things. So we're going to give that a go uh, this morning. And one of the things uh, that I noticed at the beach was um, there are all kinds of people there. You know what I'm talking about. There are old people. There are young people. There are black, white, Hispanic, Asian people. There are big people and tall people, short people and small people. I feel like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> In all shapes and sizes, there are pretty ones and not so pretty ones. And the not-sos seem to be gathered around me, and maybe birds of a feather, I'm not sure. We kind of flock. The ones that typically catch my eye, though, are the kids, the children. Uh, they seem to have a tremendous joy that just kind of you're drawn to when you watch them at the beach. Uh, one day we had a family, uh, well, actually probably three families, I think. They were all coming together, and they, they set up camp right near us, and um, they had three little boys all about the same age, you know, six, seven years old, something like that, uh, maybe five, I'm not sure, uh, each one of them with a boogie board tethered to their wrist, you know, the long uh, boarding shorts in red, white, and blue, and they all had their little shirts on, and they were ready to go, and they came blasting onto the beach, I mean, wide open across that sand. You could hear them giggling, running. No parent in sight. And they top the little crest down to the water and they hit the brakes just like, and their toes did not touch that water. And they all spun around. And look, they had been given instructions, don't you go in that water until there's an adult down there to supervise. And so they obeyed. And you could hear, almost hear the, the parent, whichever one it was, said, all right, you can go in now. Because then they started going out in the waves. And the water was coming up, and they were, you know, jumping a little bit. And then that one wave, you know that one wave that crests, and it kind of smacks your whole body? It hit them, and boy, they squealed. And anybody from 50 yards in either direction turned and looked, because they were just like, 
you know, screaming. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is what being a child at the beach is all about right here. The ocean treats everyone the same. Have you noticed that? It doesn't matter your size or your preference for water temperature. It will hit you with the same force and temperature that does everyone else, no regard to your preferences. My friend Adrian says the ocean always wins. Always. You may think you've whooped it, but it'll turn around and it'll smack you, knock you down. On another day we were there, there was a, a large tent set up before we got out. I'm guessing there were probably six or eight families represented. It was a big gathering, all of them with, with young children, even smaller than the day before, some just toddling around, some of them just a little bit older than that, some teenagers as well. And uh, they, were, they were of that age where they didn't have boogie boards. They just kind of walked out and they would hop the little waves as they trickle. You know what I'm talking about? I don't jump anymore. I don't, I don't jump waves anymore. And, and these little guys are jumping and they're giggling and they're at that size where every little jump, sometimes they lose their balance. You know what I'm talking about. I see all these grandparents out there with smiles on your faces. You're like, yep. And they kind of stagger and then they look at each other and giggle. Sometimes they just plop on the ground to sit. And that little water that barely covers our feet passes them and then kind of starts pulling them out, you know, the, the, the weight of the water starts pulling them back out into the water, out into the ocean and kind of dragging them out there. And not too long you see a parent run down and say, come back over here, come back over here, come back in front of us. On one, one wave I watched, there were three little kids in front of me and, um, well, they weren't supposed to be in front of me, they were supposed to be down there, but they kind of, but the wave came in, and it was a little bit bigger, and it knocked them all down, and it kind of scooched several of them, but the little girl kind of rolled over on her stomach to try to crawl in, and it just picked her up. And you could see the terror in her eyes as the wave was splashing over her head and dragging her out, and I was like, whoop, I have to be a lifeguard here. And right at the last second, she gained ground and stopped and came up kind of like, and she came all the way out of that water like, Mom, did you see that? I almost died. The water was maybe this deep. But that's the terror of it. It, it, will, it will grab you and pull you in. And the parents, some of them are very sweet, and they're saying, okay, honey, y'all come back down over here where we can see you. Come back down here in front of us. But then you have that dad. I told you not to get in front. You know, just really get back over here. And their kids are terrified. Their motive's the same, though, to keep the children safe. Watch out for the undertow. It will pull you every time. <clears throat> the ocean is an analogy for life a lot. There is so much about it that is beautiful. The sunrise and the sunset, the beauty of the water, the sand, the serenity and the peace that we find there, the refreshment of the waves, the sound of the waves crashing on the shore. It's just medicine for your soul so many times, salt air. And life can be that way, too. It can be uh, uplifting and reassuring. Life can be uh, filled with, with love and friendship and memories and beautiful places, accomplishments in life. They're so beautiful. But like the ocean, they can also, life can also be dangerous, and it can lull us into feeling safe when we're really not. We are lulled to sleep with the beauty of the ocean, and we can get caught in the undertow, something we can't really see, but boy, you can feel it when it grabs you. 
It's easy to get pulled out into the deep water and and down the beach where you lose your footing and you lose your strength and you find yourself in trouble before you even realize there was trouble. And we get sucked away by the current. So many of us are being pulled in life. We are being pulled by the culture around us. We may not even realize it. We are drifting away from the foundations of our faith in Jesus Christ. We've grown sleepy. You know, I remember when cussing was never appropriate, ever. You didn't use four-letter words, period. Y'all remember this? Some of our kids today, they, they don't understand that. They don't understand that. If you ever cussed, then you, you, know, you, were, you had a mouth like a sailor. Not an army person. But they say you cuss like a sailor. And they'd send you to the bathroom and say you're going to wash your mouth out with soap. Like soap was going to take foul language out of your mouth. Well, it sure deterred it, didn't it? Made you think twice. How did that happen? How did using the F word become okay in our culture? How did using four-letter words to, to describe, how, how did it become a part of our vernacular? Where it's just something we just say, oh, it's just the way it is. Did we try it one time and feel empowered? Like, ooh, that felt good. Or we tried it one time, we started cussing, we said, well, God must not care because he didn't strike me dead. Like my grandmother said would happen. And we then become kind of rebellious and we start saying, well, nothing's going to happen to me. So we just allow it to happen. And the truth is that we've drifted. We've drifted. We, are, we have been pulled by the undertow of our culture. The things our culture is saying, it's fine. Everybody's doing it. It's not a problem. You can still go to church. It's fine. And they'll say, Jesus still loves you. And that is true. Sometimes I wonder if he might show up with a bar of soap and go, <clears throat> come here. I want you to create some new habits. We've drifted. I remember when nudity in movies was very unusual. Now it's almost commonplace. All over the place. You can't hardly watch without some kind of sexual thing happening or some nudity happening. Pornography is more prevalent than you ever want to know. And I bet if we could take a secret poll of everyone who comes to this church and said, have you ever had a problem with pornography, the percentage would shake you. You would be shocked. Many of you would not because you know you're caught up in it. Men and women. And what it does is it makes you have a false image of the opposite sex. It destroys your self-image. It will destroy your marriage, your relationships, your work habits. And you say, what in the world? Because it becomes this compulsion. And it all started with a little bit of nudity in the movies that made us draw from more and more. And the culture said, it's okay. Everybody's doing it. Let's make jokes about it. If we joke about it, it's all right. That means no problem. And we get sucked in to this world, and we are corrupted by it. What is happening? We're drifting. 
were being pulled by this dangerous and deadly undertow into territory that will destroy us. The pull of this world starts very subtly and many times with something that's good that just goes too far. James chapter 1 and verses 13 to 15, he writes this. He says, when you're tempted, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone? You can't say this. And it's not like Geraldine, if you're old like me. You remember Geraldine, the devil made me do it. No. Look at what he says. He says in verse 14, he says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by what? By their own evil desires and enticed. It starts within us. We find this influence of culture that starts pulling us. And then in verse 15 he says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. It starts slow. The undertow of sin starts with deception, just like it did in the Garden of Eden. Certainly you will not die. Sound familiar? Look, it's good. It is good to eat. Take a bite. James tells us in verse 12 of chapter 1, just before this, he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Persevere. In order to rise above the undertow, we have to be diligent. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It doesn't care how old you are, how young you are, how strong or weak. It doesn't care if you like it or not. It's going to treat you the same way. He's going to try to come and devour you. He is looking for the one who is not paying attention. The one who has gotten lazy in their personal holiness holiness in their worship and prayer life. Someone who has said, it'll be fine, I'll be fine. Instead of saying, no, I won't be fine. I've got someone pursuing me. And he's trying to devour me. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.14, he says, as obedient children, he says, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, when you didn't know any better. I remember the first time I learned about an undertow and what it was. I said, oh, I'll never get caught in that. And then I got caught in one. And fortunately, I paid attention to what to do. I learned how to get out of the undertow, to swim parallel with the beach, you know. And I was always going, well, which way? Well, just parallel. It doesn't matter. Until you find the current not pulling you anymore. You have to learn how to rise above. As a young man, um, <laughs> I thought it was really cool to listen to my music really loud when I drove the car and drive really fast and grow my hair in a rat tail. Can you imagine your pastor with about a seven or eight inch rat tail? I was a rebel. I had the cut off shirts. Man, I was James Dean is what I thought. I thought I was really something. 
But, you know, I look back at the younger self, and I kind of chuckle, like y'all are chuckling at me, going, God, you look like a fool, probably. I have, to, I have to chuckle because I wasn't a rebel. I thought I was, and I really wasn't doing anything bad. I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't doing all kinds of crazy mess that so many people are. You know, I, I wasn't a rebel really at all. I was actually a conformist. I was acting and dressing just like everyone else who was following the world. My question is, has anything changed? Yeah, I don't have a rat tail anymore. But how about you? Are you following the world? Is that your identifier in your life? Or your treasures, your values, your priorities and principles, are they aligned with the cultural approval and status? Or are they aligned with the kingdom of God? Am I truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, not just a follower, or someone who wants to be like Him, who wants to learn and give my complete devotion to Him? read this verse in John 15, verse 19, where Jesus says this. He says, If you belong to the world, it will love you as, your, as its own. I thought, oh boy. As it is, though, Jesus says, You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. That's why you don't fit in. That's why it feels awkward sometimes in this world. It's because I made you in my image, not in the image of the world. And for you to find the complete fulfillment that you're looking for, the love that you're for, uh, looking for, you've got to align yourself with me. This past Memorial Day, it was one of the last days we were at the beach, and it was one of the roughest ocean days that we had. The waves were really high. Surfers were loving it. Uh, they would just disappear in these six, seven-foot swales in the Atlantic Ocean, like we were in Hawaii or something. And they were just, it was just boiling water just all day long. But the surfers were out there having a ball. But surfers have learned how to catch the power of the waves and turn it into joy. That is the very thing that wreaks havoc on us that don't know how to surf and can, can drown them, becomes the thing that lifts them and propels them. The will of God is like that in our life. If we can embrace the will of God in our life, no matter how rough the world, the life may be around us, no matter how big the waves may be, we can find the will of God lifting us above that and letting us ride on top. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? He says, by the renewing of your mind. Make up your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, transformation starts with the mind. It's a, a new way of thinking and, and seeing and understanding. It's being able to see the, the rough waters around you and still rise above. 
You see, we have a bad habit in our society, especially as Christians, of taking our Christianity and laying it over our actions, our politics, our habits, and we try to Christianize it as in, as in trying to validate our position according to Scripture instead of doing it the other way around. We're all wrong. Transformation is taking the Word of God as foundation and then changing our actions to align with it. Changing our views, changing our habits to align with God. And if we're over here trying to finagle God's Word to support our thoughts, then we're like, I need to finagle my thoughts to align with God's Word. That's what transformation does. It's a renewing of your thinking and your mind. And it's very difficult to do. And that's why we trust God to do it. Transformation doesn't rely on culture for its guidance, for its answers. It relies on God. Transformation starts and finishes with the will of God in the renewed mind. So I wonder... Are you ready for a renewed mind today? Do you think, maybe I've gotten out of sorts today. Maybe I'm not where I need to be today. Maybe I have been Christianizing my actions and saying, I'll be fine. Maybe the culture has sucked you in. And maybe you didn't even realize it. And you've been lulled to sleep. Maybe today we need to repent. And say, God, I've been, I've been fighting you on this. But it's time for me to surrender. If it's time to surrender, today's a great day to do that. Let's pray together, will you? Father, your love and grace surround us more than we've ever known. We are filled with, with gratitude for your forgiveness. So, Father, wherever we are today, breathe on us fresh life. Bring the assurance of your forgiveness as well as the joy of salvation. And may we step closer to you this day, we pray in Jesus' name.